0: Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. David, before I ask you about the seven points that you uh, focus on in your Washington Post piece, what's the process you employ to get to these questions? How do you determine where you are and what the numbers are?
1: That's a great question. So what I did for this piece was I sort of tried two things. First, I tried to catalog some of the things that made me uncertain about the election outcome, things that were just too different about this year uh, to ignore. And second, I tried to catalog some of the things that sort of made politics feel worse. My goal here was just sort of take a step back, look at all of the different things that you would examine in the course of an election, and just try to get a global view instead of getting caught in sort of the day-to-day ups and downs and so this sort of combination of seven factors is what i landed on
0: it's really very interesting material so let me go through them one through seven as you did in the post piece it's been a hundred years since we've held a mid-pandemic election that's in the united states it's impossible to know how voters will react walk us through that please
1: right so we know a couple things right now we know that voters don't particularly like how Donald Trump is handling the coronavirus pandemic. Uh, We know that it's unprecedented in the last 100 years to have a sort of pandemic like this on U.S. soil. You can see the confirmed cases count, the uh, mortality, all the different things in the piece. But what we don't know is exactly how the public will react going forward. Uh, Nobody can really peg oh, you know, X number of more deaths will lead to a Y drop in the polls for Trump or something along those lines. Uh, It's a a big variable that we don't really know how people are going to process it going forward, even if we do know some things about how they're thinking about it right now. So that adds uh, some kind of uncertainty.
0: (laughs) Yeah, just reading the last line in the in the in this section on the uh, pandemic, it colors every conversation and dominates daily life. It sure does. And why wouldn't it dominate and color an election?
1: Exactly. Exactly. It's it's really interesting. For this is this has become a little bit weaker, but previously uh, the correlation between. Trump's job approval on the coronavirus and his uh, standing in the horse race was very, very strong. That's what people were really mainly thinking about.
0: So the second point that you raised, the coronavirus has damaged the economy and a damaged economy is usually bad for the incumbents. But in this case, that's also a bit of an unknown.
1: Right. So, uh, my thought here is that what we know from the past is that recessions hurt the sitting president typically or the sitting president's party typically. We all remember in 2008 when the great recession happened, uh, John McCain paid the price and that helped Barack Obama because that's one of the things that people evaluate administrations on. What we don't know is if voters are going to treat this recession differently. So what we see in the polling is that Trump's approval ratings on the economy are actually better than they are on some other issues, despite the fact uh, that we're in the middle of a record breaking recession. And the numbers themselves are also uh, behaving in a bit of an unpredictable way. We have these massive swings uh, caused by the onset of the pandemic and the economy radically changing in response to that. And now we have uh, sort of improvement in job numbers that's happening really, really fast because you know the pandemic situation is changing rapidly on a day-to-day basis so not only we do we have sort of the unknown of how people exactly are processing this we also have the whiplash that are just creating these big numbers that are hard to process using the typical history
0: so then on to the next issue and how does this factor into the election we're watching from across the border in canada nobody can cross the border any longer at least not a land crossing just as we used to visit one another we can't do it now But we're watching very closely the waves of protest in in American cities. And uh, that has really, as you write, made everyone focus more on the issue of race. Now, that is an issue in this country as well. We don't have the level of protest in our cities that you do in the United States. How does that enter into and shape the election?
1: Right. So what we know about this is that voters generally prefer Biden's approach to uh, issues of race and issues of protest over Trump's approach. We know that voters are concerned about crime and are concerned about unrest and things to that effect. But, you know, there's a large question mark around exactly how this evolves. Uh, you, we don't know if the opinions of the protests are going to change as time goes on. They have gotten a little bit more negative sort of as the uh, outbreaks of violence happened in Kenosha, Wisconsin, as compared to June, when the protests were just beginning in the aftermath of George Floyd's death. So what we really don't know here is exactly how this evolved, because in most election years we don't have a mass protest movement.
0: Now I want to read in, in its entirety the fourth point that you make. I think it all obviously all ties together and our listeners will understand. You're right, even the most admired institutions, including the police and the military, are losing public confidence. A 50-year decline in trust continues. Most Americans say they don't trust any branch of government. Non-governmental institutions have shed credibility, too. The media, widely scorned and distrusted. Organized religion continues its long decline. Even the police and military, revered by most of the public for decades, have seen some erosion in their numbers as well. You're right, we, uh, the United States, Americans are a country with few establishment heroes. Wow. How do you take that one to the polls on voting day?
1: Yeah, that's an interesting one. This one, I think, is a little bit more big picture in some ways than the last uh, few points we talked about, because the last few points we talked about are sort of sudden changes that are happening right now. These are really long-term trends that I think have kind of knock-on effects, for the rest of politics. It's a little unclear if they affect or how they would affect the actual voting, but it's part of this broader trend in the United States that's touching really everything. To me, the most striking numbers in those charts when I was making them were the police and the military. Um, Those institutions are typically sort of uh, loved and revered universally, but even they've seen some erosion in their numbers. It's I I just have to sort of think that somewhere in our politics, whether in this election or not, that this lack of trust and this sort of decline has big effects.
0: And point number five, satisfaction with the country's direction is sagging. Frustration with the pandemic, institutions and institutionalized racism as united Americans in widespread discontent. Uh, But again, uh, David, as you say, there's no real um, guarantee as to how this is going to turn out when voters stand with a pencil in their hands.
1: Right, right. So we're seeing these sort of skyrocketing numbers around discontentment and dissatisfaction with the direction of the country. And uh, these numbers sometimes end up corresponding to election results that you would think would be intuitive. And sometimes they don't. Uh, For example, in 2008, people were very unhappy. That's when the war in Iraq was probably at its least popular. Uh, That's when there was a Great Recession on, and voters responded by, (laughs) excuse me, uh, by sort of taking it out on the Republican Party and giving Barack Obama a landslide victory. In 2012, voters still weren't happy. Uh, The recovery had not sort of fully happened at that point. But Mitt Romney was unable to make the case that their dissatisfaction them from Obama, and Obama won a second term. So in this case, we see all sorts of indicators of misery in the American public, um, but it's hard to say where they would point in terms of actually figuring out the election result.
0: So the next point that you raise made me think of the Florida hanging chads issue immediately. Uh, And we've heard a lot about uh, mail-in ballots being an issue of major contention uh, in in the U.S. And you're right, turnout is scrambled as the mailbox becomes the ballot box. These changes could transform the election from a single day into a months-long slugfest of debating, voting, and counting, and court challenges. So we're not going to be sitting on uh, the night of November the 3rd and be around uh, 9 p.m. Eastern time and waiting for some network to say, We project...
1: Right, right. So it's a whole change to the entire process. Um, I'd have to look at the exact calendar to make sure, but I'm fairly certain that voting actually began today in North Carolina with mailing out of some uh, absentee ballots. So election season is already underway, uh, and there's a good likelihood that we're going to have more people locking in their votes early and by mail and by sort of non-traditional means than in previous elections. Uh, in terms of counting, it's a very interesting situation. I think that on election night, uh, Florida is a state that will be interesting to watch. Uh, that's one of the states that most imp- that's most important for the Electoral College, and that will give us a clue on who is going to win. But it's also possible that the election results take a while. Uh, a lot of states aren't used to counting the number of ballots, and even if we have a good indication of who the winner is, there's going to be a lot to do in terms of counting the margins and doing all sorts of other things. So it's, it's not going to be an experience that Americans are used to with this election.
0: You know, the more advanced our technology gets, the more delayed things uh, get also. Uh, at certain times, an election seem to be one of those times. Uh, if it goes on for weeks and months, my God, uh, I'll have nothing else to talk about on the radio. David, the last one. Uh, You're right. Trump is underperforming his predecessors, but there's still plenty of time for the race to shift. How?
1: Right. So what you see in there is two different sets of numbers. The first is presidential approval polls. This is a poll question that simply asks voters, do you approve of how the president is handling his job? And uh, according to those numbers, Trump is not doing very well he lags a lot of other presidents who have managed to win a second term. But the thing is, is that he has just enough time to sort of get his numbers up. He's been in sort of the low to mid 40s uh, for most of his first term, sort of 40%, 42% is often where he is. But if he gets up just a few more percentage points, he's within spinning distance of sort of an electoral college win. Which brings me to sort of the second set of numbers I have in that set point, which is your basic... Horse race Biden versus Trump polling. So in head to head matchups, what you see is Trump's percentage of the vote pretty closely matches his approval rating. He oftentimes gets between 40 and 43% in his approval rating. He often gets between 40 and 43% in national polls. Biden, on the other hand, gets the vast majority of people who disapprove of the president. Right now, that's giving him around 50, 51% of the vote. So right now, Biden is in a good position. But The United States has an electoral college system where each state votes and there is a whole Byzantine process related to that. And so essentially what that means is that Donald Trump can, in theory, lose the popular vote by roughly three percentage points and still maintain uh, or still win a second term. So, in that way, it's still a relatively uh, close election, even though it's been very stable and Biden has had a really solid lead in the popular vote.
0: If you want to hear more, subscribe to The Roy Green Show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorites. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review and tell a friend. I'm Roy Green. Have a
1: great weekend.